In this week's episode, we talk about Brian Bendis' tribute to Stan Lee, our hopes and dreams for the new Spawn movie, and Chris takes care of his New Year's resolution super early. It's all happening now on Cover B. Hey everybody, welcome to Cover B. As always, I am T here with Chris. Welcome from the distant future of 2019. As we are wont to do the beginning of the new year, I got sick. Yeah. Because that's what happens. Yeah, it's a good way to ring it in. Yep, and I sound gross, and I'm sorry, and I apologize if I cough, or if I snort, or if I do any of those things that Chris did like two weeks ago. We're gonna have to keep it short, though. Because of that, because I don't know how long she has until... Until I die. Until it unleashes. It's true. floodgates open. So, uh, what did you read that you enjoyed? So, this week, I only really have one book and then one odd little subset thing to talk about. Um, mostly for me this week was a lot of, like, mid-series books. So, like, mm-hmm. number threes. Mm-hmm. And number seven. So not like a whole lot of monumental stuff happening for me. Um, however, this week was Scarlet number five, which cool. was the end of that mini run. Um, kind of some big stuff. It showed that Bendis is ready to take the Scarlet world national. We are expanding beyond the gates of Portland which is exciting. Neat. Um, it's going to be, I think what he's setting up is that it's going to be like, the next one's going to be like Scarlet Revolution or something along those lines because he's kind of setting it up that all of the cities across America had started to rebel with her and with mm-hmm. Portland, and that's pretty cool. Do you think at any point in her global tour, Scarlet's going to go back to Terra? So... <laughs> Fun fact, one of the big, they as they were talking about, or talking, as they were showing the different cities that were, like, rebelling alongside Portland, uh-huh. one of the big spreads, like, the last big spread was Atlanta, and I actually laughed out loud for that exact reason. <laughs> That's I was nice like, Easter of, egg. of all the things you guys picked, you had to pick Atlanta. That was yeah. great. But, um... The real thing that I found the most interesting, I hate to say it, but the most interesting thing I read this week was actually at the end of Scarlet and a couple of his other books, um, Bendis had been asked a while ago to, in in preparation because of Stan's age, to uh, write a tribute for Stan for, I believe it was the New York Times, and in the back of all of his jinx world books he put um this tribute comic and it's so sweet and it's interesting because the whole little comic is him talking about working for stan (laughs) and i'm like you don't work for stan anymore you should we miss you but but i can't blame him because the man's writing just about everything dc's putting out now so that's kind of excessive but um It's just really sweet and endearing because it's him talking Mm -hmm. about when he first met him as, like, some random little sign, like, maker at, like, a convention. And then him when he first, you know, started writing stuff and at Marvel and then him going to lunch with Stan. And it's all just very sweet and emotional. And 
I just thought it was really poignant that him even moving over to DC, and I know that a lot of the DC books, or I think all of the DC books this time around, like this week, had an in memoriam at the end mm-hmm. for Stan. That was really cool. I remember <coughs> seeing I th- that. That was really nice to th- the esteemed competition. Yeah, exactly. And I think really cool. it's just it's it's just poignant to me again how universal stan was for the comic industry and how everyone's able to put all of their other animosity or weirdness aside to be able to talk about what a great guy he was so that was probably the most important impressive thing i read this week like i said it was just a lot of a lot of weird middle issues Mm -hmm. yeah i i feel that i um i honestly don't have anything that is really ringing my bells this week like Everybody should read Lucifer. I think that came out this week. Pretty sure. I read it this week. Um, <laughs> and everybody should read Uncanny X-Men. I still think both of those are worth picking up. But the particular issues for this week didn't really do anything revolutionary. Some A few other things. Um, honestly, the best thing I read this week was something from like two weeks ago, which was Darth Vader 25. Um, whether you know what's going on with Darth Vader or not, you should pick up that issue. But... Yeah, I don't really have anything that flew off the stands. Just a lot of continuations of stories and, like, middle points of stories. Yeah, I feel like we're kind of in that weird um, post-Christmas rut where it's just sort of, like, maintaining because nothing revolutionary is happening right now because they did everything right before Christmas to try and make people buy stuff. Well, yeah, and they're not going to, you know, you're not going to do New Year's week as, like, all your big titles and big, like, jumping on points for comics because everyone's still broke from Christmas. You know what I mean? Like, And also... People have Christmas money and they have, like, gift cards and stuff, but you're just not going to want to, like, load on because everybody's going to be spending their money on, like, video game systems and computers. And, and gym memberships. And gym memberships and stuff. And so that it's, they'll never use. You know, so in the next <laughs> coming weeks, we've got some cool stuff coming out, but this week was just... Not that it was a bad week. Like, I'm not saying it was a bad week. but It, it was, still had good books. It was still stuff I enjoyed reading, but there was just nothing that, like, really jumped out and was like, hey, notice me. So. <laughs> so what did you have in regards to news this week? We'll news. move it right along. Yeah, see, lots of news, in my opinion. Like, a lot of cool stuff happening. Um, not really comic-related, but I guess, like, visual medium uh scary stories to tell in the dark you know that old like oh the heavy quotes kids book that that is not a kid's book that is is terrifying is the reason anxiety and depression are what they are in (laughs) millennials Uh, for those who don't know scary stories to tell in the dark um is a book from i don't when was that book I didn't, 80s, of course I didn't. 80s, 90s? Of course I didn't write that down. It's by Alvin Schwartz. The movie rights got bought like a way long time ago, like 2013 by CBS Films. Eventually, Guillermo del Toro got attached, not to direct, but to produce, which is still cool. Um, but the film adaptation of this horrible, terrible, ruin your childhood book... <laughs> Has a date. It will be released on August 9th of this year by Lionsgate and CBS Films. Um, it's going to have the likes of Michael Garza, 
Austin Abrams, Gabriel Rush, Austin Zajur, and Natalie Gansorn hmm. um, in it. Supposedly, I guess the story is about a uh, group of teens who must solve the mystery surrounding a wave of spectacularly horrific deaths in their small town. I am super excited. I think it's going to be cool. I'm a little worried that Guillermo's not directing, but I think he'll still be able to give enough of his, like, tasty flavor to it. It's going to be tough, though, because I don't know, because what makes the book so scary and interesting, and Google it. If you haven't seen it, Google scary stories to tell in dark. During the day. Google it during the day. Google it in the depths of night when you're all alone. Go to a dark alley (laughs) and Google this on your phone and sit down on the ground and put in some noise-canceling headphones. Um, He's trying to ruin you. Yeah, it's Just giving you warning. You must be like all of us. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it, it... the illustrations are what make this so scary. It's definitely like morbid, macabre stories that are told throughout the thing. But like, I don't know if the stories or the narrative of it will be enough. So I really hope they nail the art direction. And this won't be the first time you ever hear me talk about this. I am super nitpicky with art direction, especially when it comes to the scary bits of horror movies. I have a, I did a ranty blog post like a few months ago, about body-painted weirdos. I hate the use of (laughs) body-painted weirdos in horror movies. It's like, hey, we need somebody to be scary. Let's just put someone in their underpants, paint them black, and give them, like, yellow contacts. Whoa, they're scary. Like, people don't take the time or, like, deliver the budget, like, delegate the budget to make, like, generally scary monsters and ghosts anymore in my opinion i think it's too often we you know just default to this like look he looks like he's got heavy makeup on scary i think the biggest factor in this is going to be if guillermo has a say in whether it's practical effects or cgi Mm -hmm. because when it comes to guillermo del toro the best parts of his movies are the practical effects because mm-hmm. he that man can make a creature well yeah and he's, so he's got good teams that he brings on with him and stuff and so i'm just hoping that even though he's not directing he'll be still like heavily influencing that because if it's his practical effects style it's gonna it's gonna nail it like mm-hmm. that's gonna be right on but if they default to cgi i i don't know it could it could be lame well yeah august 9th so mark your calendars like I said, if you haven't seen this book, Google it, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Um, we'll be releasing in theaters later this year. So, Other movie news. Mm-hmm. Todd McFarlane recently came out because mm-hmm. the Spawn movie Spawn is coming. Spawn movie. We've been hearing bits and pieces, you know, forever. Um, apparently Spawn himself is going to be Jamie Foxx, so that should be weird. Awesome, maybe, but also super weird. I don't know. I don't know. It, I think he could do good. I'm, I'm down. Um, Todd's excited, and that's all I care about. He did such a good job as Electro. I, I actually no liked opinion. his Electro. I, I know everyone. I didn't. I didn't like how it looked. Admittedly, it looked like somebody left Jamie Foxx outside too long <laughs> in the cold. <laughs> and um, 
but I think he did a, he did a good job as like a villain and his like little nerdy Jamie Foxx like I'd watch a whole movie of nerdy Jamie Foxx trying to mac on Emma Stone. <laughs> I don't know. I felt like Jamie Foxx was super extra in that. But that's why I'm kind of okay with him that's... doing Spawn, because Spawn is super extra. I mean, those movies, the Spider-Man movies were super extra, too. But yeah, I, I, I am excited to see him as Spawn. Yeah, so recently Todd came out and said, this movie is going to be dark, ugly, and with, quote, very little joy. Ah, so it was like high school. <laughs> oh. But I think that's amazing because that's what we've been asking for since they put out that travesty that was the obnoxious 90s thing. I don't – the 90s one was a good Spawn movie for what they were able to do in the 90s. It had cool practical effects. It had cool – like, I mean, it had crappy, like, animated stuff. But, like, it was good for for what you could get away with in the 90s. But I think Spawn – the unfortunate thing is, is Spawn was huge in the 90s. Not as much now. Like, he still has his following and people dig him. But, like, he's not, like, you know, the kids today aren't dressing like Spawn for Halloween anymore. And, um, but now is the day that we have the technology to make a proper Spawn film. So it's, it's, it's just one of those movies where they, like rushed it and we're like we have to do this now but they didn't think about the fact that like how do we really make this like work yeah to the degree that we need to so i'm pumped i'm i'm just excited because this movie unlike the first one this one is almost entirely 100 percent in control by todd yeah so that means that it's going to be exactly what the creator wanted which is huge because most movies don't have that so does he have like a production credit on it? So is he actually like? Oh yeah, got his hands in it. That's cool. Oh yeah, he ha- he like did most of the work for the funding for it. Like okay. he mm. refused to give it up to anybody else this time around. He wanted to do it his way, his movie, mm-hmm. his control. So and he's working with some really cool people that he's done some other stuff with. Like I think. Don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure that the guy doing the art design is the dude from The Walking Dead. Yeah. So it's going to be That's sick. Cool. It's going to be sick. It's a shame. It, it does suck that Angela won't ever make an appearance. You know what I mean? Because she's owned by Marvel now and whatnot. But there's still a lot of cool characters. A lot of cool stuff that could go into that. I, I'd be down for like a Spawn trilogy or something. That'd be cool. A la like the Blade trilogy. I'm in. I'm in. Very, like, horror, gory superhero trilogy. That'd be cool. Moving on. Uh, let's talk about Aquaman again. <laughs> it's what we do. Yeah. If you guys didn't get enough of us talking about Aquaman, we're going to talk about it again. Aquaman is kicking ass. It is. In the box office. It is. Granted, there's not a whole lot of good <laughs> in theaters <laughs> right now. Um Shockingly, Holmes and Watson did not dethrone Aquaman in the box office. <laughs> no one saw that coming. Um, so they, it's already grossed, and these numbers could have changed by the time this episode comes out, but current worldwide is something like $822 million. Good Lord. Um, and like 215 U.S., so it's pushing the billion dollar mark, which so far for DC, I think only the Dark Knight 
movies have been able to do that. Oh, man. Um, like Dark Knight Returns and Dark Knight Rises. Was it Dark Knight Returns? Yeah, yeah. that was the second one. Because it was Batman Begins, which Aquaman's already beaten. And Dark Knight Returns and Dark Knight Rises. Those two, I think, made it over the billion. So it's pushing. It's past. I'm pretty sure it's past Wonder Woman Worldwide. Um, I did read that, yeah. In the U.S., it's ahead of X-Men 2, Batman Begins, Thor The Dark World, Amazing Spider-Man Returns, Superman Returns, Thor, Ant-Man, and Captain America The First Avenger. So it is freaking railing. And this just goes back to what I said last week where I think Aquaman, in my opinion, is DC finally kind of figuring out where tonally and, like, approachability their movies need to be. Yeah. They need to be kind of cheesy. They need to be kind of fun, and they really just need to, like, pour on the, like, gloss. Well, that's it. I was actually having that conversation with somebody today because he's reading through the old 52 series. And that his critic, he was like, you know, there's one criticism I have about it where it will be, like, really cool and fun and, like, really, like, serious. And then they'll just say something really cheesy and superhero-y. And I I looked at him and I was like, that's kind of DC. That's kind of DC shtick. Like... And I, I think that's cool. I think that is fine. Like, we don't need to have every single movie uh, universe feel like we're looking out our window at it. It's okay for us to assume. Like, nobody goes to Star Wars being like, I don't know. You know, <laughs> like, I couldn't see that happening outside my home. You know, yeah. like, you're fine with it. We're fine with it as moviegoers. And I, I, I don't know. I, I think it's success really says a lot and I hope DC looks at its success and is like hey this is doing well let's keep our movies kind of in the same vein but I guess we'll see I guess we'll see with um Wonder Woman 1984 because I think that's the next one coming up right no I think Shazam oh Shazam yeah I always forget Shazam yeah Shazam's coming up then Wonder Woman 1984 so we'll see but you know Shazam's already in the can so it's already got its, like, tone and stuff. But congrats, Aquaman, James Wan, wet Superman, um, <laughs> Mary Jane splashing, uh, <laughs> Willem Dafoe. Uh, congrats, you guys. You're doing good. And the guy in all of the horror movies for the past, like, six years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> guy who got... Murdered by Ellen Page in Hard Candy. Congrats. Congrats to all you guys. That was a weird movie. An obscure reference. That was a good... I liked it. Props props to me. Air 5. Uh. Jason Momoa. That's, that's that guy's name. I didn't forget his name. Shut up. You don't know. How can you forget Jason? Mm. Boo on you. All right, moving on. Because <laughs> if I get stuck in the Jason Momoa loop, we're never getting out. So... Comic news, our boy, my boy Bendis, my boy Bendis, he, at the beginning of the year, likes to do a social media tease where he posts random stuff and is like, hey, stuff's going to happen this year, but I'm not telling you what. This year, he did 10 images on Instagram in, like, kind of like a folder type thing, and there were some weird ones, like Batman Beyond and Wonder Woman. And some really obscure random pieces from, like, books of the 60s. Hmm. Bendis, you can't write literally everything. (laughs) Like, 
I'd love it, but you gotta sleep, dude. Like, you can't write everything. He can, and he will. <laughs> I wonder if that's how they got him over to DC. He was like, okay, if I come over to DC, I want to be able to write whatever I want at any given moment. And they were like, uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> and then he was like, no, I'm holding to it. And now he's literally just going to write stuff and be like, hey, publish this. And they're like, we have somebody else writing this right now. No, publish it. And then they will. Tom King walks into the, like, assignments room and is like, who's been taking all the assignments? <laughs> he goes to the, like, break room, opens the fridge, his yogurt's open. He's like, Bendis! <laughs> I like to think Bendis goes to D.C. and just, like becomes the rascal of of the office. Tom King sits down in his chair, whoopee cushion. Yeah. <laughs> Bendis! <laughs> Scott Snyder's <laughs> like, I will turn this company around, you two. <laughs> All right. So for our final segment today, everybody's talking about new year, new you. It's the beginning of 2019. And people are trying to revolutionize themselves, mm-hmm. make make themselves into something new. Getting gym memberships, <clears throat> buying up death rays, getting hooked on cocaine. Honey, uh, that's just you. No, that that's just you. Yeah, I was listening to my resolutions. Oh. Yeah. I, I just want to lose a few pounds. Um, I guess the death ray could help. Yeah, yeah. All right. Be a quick answer. Yeah. So. And anyway. Anywho. Uh, yeah. Um, new year, new anywho. Yeah. Well, we thought in the spirit of the new year, new you, mm-hmm. we would talk about how comics do new year, new you all the freaking time <laughs> to every character. And sometimes it's great. And sometimes it's not. It's true. You know, reinventing a character is not by any means a new concept. And it's, it's worked sometimes. Like, you think about how Daredevil, back in the Frank Miller days, went from being, like, yellow and kind of quippy to being the more, like, dark, intense, nighttime superhero that he became. You know, and Karnak, at some point, lost his weird hat. <laughs> and that was nice. Way back when, Batman stopped shooting people and, like, dropping people off of roofs and stuff. That's what he did in his, like, first, very first comic, I think. He was, like, blasting, like, capping fools. Oh, my God. And, yeah, he went from, like, Tupac to Peter Parker, like, that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, and then Frank Miller got a hold of him and he... Kind of went back to dropping people off of buildings yeah. a little bit. I, I'm in a giant tank and I'm shooting people, but it's rubber bullets. It's okay. not death. Okay, champ. Cool. <laughs> it's a 50 caliber rubber bullet. All right, he's, he's fine. Um, well, and then you've got characters when you reinvent them entirely, not just, you know, their personality, but you reinvent who they are. I mean, you look at Carol Danvers... She was Miss Marvel, which one of the we've I think we've briefly talked about. She briefly had this weird storyline where she got pulled into another dimension and 
inseminated and brought back and then had Mm -hmm. a baby and it grew up in like two days it was so weird and so inappropriate and she was like the only chick on the avengers at the time Mm -hmm. it was bad news you guys the 70s man (laughs) bad news but she went through a bunch of changes she was binary for a while and then she was warbird for a while and she went back to being miss marvel well then in the 2000s kelly sudakonic got a hold of her 2012 i believe and was like nope we're done with this we're done with this history we are moving forward and then she made her captain marvel she gave her the mantle that now helps define almost an entire characterization of characters in comics this this female identity this carol core if you will Mm -hmm. this powerful warrior this air force person this soldier there's so many characters that are defined in this model of the Carol Corps. Mm-hmm. And it was a and and now you look at the movie and it's huge. I think it with reinvention like it's a natural part of the progress of a character. It you know, I mean even if let's take a smaller scope, if you look at Harry Potter, like the Harry Potter books, mm-hmm. seven books. Yes. Not counting the like play or whatever yes so you got seven books you know all the characters in those books progress into different things you know there are definitely things that stay the same like harry remains headstrong ron remains a joke and (laughs) hermione remains the only reason the other two are alive (laughs) preach that is a fact and that stays the same but they change as time goes by so Reinventing a character, especially when you go to the huge scope of comics, where you're going to have at least one book of this character coming out every single month for years and decades, you know, you got to change it up at some point. But what I, I think it really boils down to is, is the reinvention because of a narrative progression? Is it because of a change in appeal? Or is it because of a marketing grab? You know, yeah. and I think that's, you know, you look at the unsuccessful reinventions. You've got, like, Wonder Woman's leather jacket days and New 52 Lobo. What the hell was that? And <laughs> you've got, um, Jesus, everything that came out of the clone saga of Spider-Man. Ooh. And, you know, even to an extent, like, a lot of debate around this, but to the extent the, like, hardcore diversity push by Marvel recently where they were like replacing every person they could with someone of color or a female and some of that's forced I mean some of it is just naturally forced and you know you've got like the young you've got like the young X-Men like a lot of people didn't dig that they did not like the young X-Men and like young Gene and um so it you know, it varies. And the you a lot of it happened in the nineties, like a lot of like costume changes and character arcs. And so I, I think it just depends. Like, is it established well in the books? Does it make sense for this character to progress this way? Or digress in some cases? Or is it just like, hey, we need this person to be cooler or we need this person to fit this niche, you know? Yeah. And then you change them and kind of like just pigeonhole them. That's a good point. You know, 
I feel like a lot of the times when it's a not ideal transition, it's because the comic universe that it's built in is trying to fill a gap. And instead of just going with a creative new IP or developing a new character that actually like better articulates what they're trying to do, they try to re-establish somebody already there because it is easier on marketing. I mean, it's a lot easier to sell a book that's already got a big name on it rather than try and develop a new fan base. Mm-hmm. But that can completely backfire because if you have built this new f- or if you built this established fan base and then you do all these changes, it's not guaranteed that that fan base is going to take in what you're selling now. You're going to not only not build a fan base, you're going to alienate the one you already have. What is your favorite example of a painful character reinvention? Oh, jeez. Like a character that came into the new year and was like, you know what I'm going to do this year? I'm going to be a new me. And they did it. And they, like, went to their first, like, supervillain fight, and everyone around them was like, oh. <laughs> well, okay. I, th- I guess I have two. I have one that is a reasonable and understandable reason mm-hmm. why I dislike it, and I have one that is just completely a matter of opinion. <laughs> okay. The first one, everyone knows that I love Scarlet Witch. I've always yep. loved Scarlet Witch. I feel like she's a super badass and probably one of, if not the most powerful person in the Marvel Universe because she can literally just upheave the Marvel Universe if she felt like it. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's done it. <laughs> House of M, she changed everything. Yeah. So in the Ultimates, they oh, thought yeah. it was a oh, good God. idea to put her in an intimate relationship with her brother. Quicksilver, who in literally every iteration of Quicksilver is always a dick. Mm -hmm. So then not only is she kind of in this weird abusive relationship with her brother, now they're in an intimate relationship and it's incestuous and creepy and gross. And I don't understand why they thought that was a good idea. Yeah, that was that was rough. That was awful, (laughs) awful, poor life choices. Just terrible. The other one is purely opinion. Um, one of my all-time favorite characters, the one that got me started in comics, was Angela of Asgard. Mm-hmm. Um, originally it was Kieran Gillen and Marguerite Bennett. Well, then Kieran left, and it was just Marguerite. And after they did the subset series Queen of Hell, where she literally goes to hell and rules it, it's kind of badass. But the next plot line has her and her lady love, Sarah, living in an apartment in Soho. (laughs) It is the most just pretentious, ridiculous thing ever. Like, I don't understand why it was necessary. I don't understand why that was the direction they went with it. This literally, like, star-traveling epic warrior is now literally, like, eating sushi in Central Park. Like, what? Why? Why is that a decision that needed to be made? And that's how it ends. We haven't had 
an individual Angela comic since that run. Probably because of that. <laughs> it really bothers me. Yeah. So that's those are my two incest and hipster. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's what bothers me the most. Fair enough. <laughs> For me, I'd like to hop in the time machine and travel back to 1974 when Steve Rogers, I believe, decides he's going undercover. And he does so by taking on the alias of Nomad. I've never heard of that. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Um, oh, no. His, his undercover persona is wearing, like, a blue, deep, deep V-neck unitard. Oh, God. Down to, like, his belly button. Oh, God. Like, large pins on the shoulders. And, like, a big billowy cape. And he's got, like, one of those masks that doesn't go all the way over the head, so his, like, long blonde hair flows through it. It's the worst. It's you, terrible. You stuck me at cape? The idea that, like, good old boy World War II Captain America would put that thing on and not be disgusted with himself is painful. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with that one. I also I don't know much to say about this one. Tim Drake, Red Robin. I don't like it. <laughs> Red Robin. Yum. I don't like um I don't know. <laughs> like Dick Grayson quits being Robin, goes on to be Nightwing. Epic. Jason Todd is forced out of being Robin. Goes on to be Red Hood. Obviously also there's epic. like some negative stuff there. Dramatic but, still. but epic. But then Tim Drake is like Robin. And then gets a little too old to be Robin. And so he's like, I'll be Red Robin. Yum. <laughs> it doesn't make it better. I don't know. It's 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 just weird. It's like that kid that just can't let go. Like the the like forty year old man who won't stop talking about that like touchdown pass he did in high school. You know what I mean? It, it yeah, when that... he's like clearly too big to be wearing that letterman jacket still. Yeah. But like he does anyway. But he's still a young character, and he's in the Titans and stuff. Is he in Titans? No, he's not in Titans right now, I don't think. He's in the Titans show. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm just not a fan. I think it's a weird... I feel like he would have done better being a different character, and they don't use him a lot, realistically. Like, they do not use Red Robin in the comics It just much. sounds lazy to me. Yeah, and like, I feel like if they just took Tim Drake, who's a cool character who has had some really intense crap happen to him, if they just, like, took that character and served him up into a different role, I feel like he would be better served. Well, um, and I mean, it's... You would expect... In due Batman boy wonder fashion that he would rebel and like, I don't want to be your Robin anymore because all the other ones do it. Mm -hmm. So why wouldn't he like, I don't want to be your Robin anymore. I'm going to be the Hawk or something. I mean, there's already Hawk and Dove, yeah, but you know right. what I mean. Like, I'll be the woodpecker. Oh, that is not going to help criminals their perception look, anymore. Criminals will look to the skies at night in fear of the pecker. Oh, God. Not going to help their relationship quarries. 
You shall feel my peck. Oh, God. <laughs> and his pantalones were just a little too tight. So real quick, favorite. Favorite character reinvention. Go. You know, I'm going to go along the same Scarlet Witch train. Um, okay. They made her no longer a mutant. For yeah. a long, long time, she and Quicksilver were Magneto's kids. Yeah. And then in the comics, it got retconned. And instead, she is a good old-fashioned from the blood of the Romani witch. Nice. And she is, like, co- directly connected to, like, the mother witch. And it's, like, the individual Scarlet Witch run that happened a couple years ago was amazing. And it talks all about it, and it really delves into it. The art is perfect. And it's it's so good like i love that retcon i and it helped her kind of independence her way away from quicksilver which i think is so important because when you have her with quicksilver in the comics she usually kind of gets pushed into the like pathetic little scarlet witch can't take care of herself and Mm -hmm. she's out of control and and he's just a dick so this kind of gives her her own leg to stand on because she's like no mfr I'm a witch, and I can do whatever I want. I can do what I want. So that's probably my favorite. I'm going to go with Kitty Pride. I think. Okay. Final answer. <laughs> uh, it was up in the air between, like, Superior Spider-Man and Kitty Pride because I like both. Um, but I think I'm going to go Kitty Pride. I was also debating the transfer between Oracle to Batgirl, but I don't even want to talk about it. Um, <laughs> He'll get really upset. I can't talk about Oracle at all. Don't want to talk about her. <laughs> um, but you don't have I'm glad, time. Glad to have my Babs back. Um, but I think I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Kitty Pride because I, with the most recent number one of Superior Spider Man, I'm concerned that Doc Ock Spider Man has kind of run his course. I don't know. I don't mm. know if they're just running out of stuff for him to do or where they're going to take him. Um, but Kitty Pride, I like that she went from, like, kind of what you said with Scarlet Witch being around Quicksilver, like, help me. Yeah. You know, she was, like... The damsel. One, like, in the X-Men arcade game, she's the one that gets kidnapped. She's, like, constantly getting kidnapped and having issues, and she's, like, the fun, like, teenaged, flighty one. And they've been, like, if you look at the history of Kitty Pride, they developed her over a long period of time. Like, she had a miniseries with Wolverine, and she did a lot of, like, really B.A. stuff um, in, like, the early 2000s. And uh, now she's, like, the head of the X-Men school, and she's a complete hard-ass. And in Uncanny recently, she was, like, sitting inches away from Apocalypse and was just, like, okay with it. And she's a badass. I like it. I like that she... It's, like I said, progression of a character. She went through a ton of shit in her mm-hmm. tenure with the X-Men and that has grown her into this. Um, oh, I didn't even... I just randomly thought about weird, crazy guy Cyclops. I like that one, too. But also, I'm going I'm to stick to Kitty Pride. I'm not going to, like, go on about it, but quick shout-out to my girl, Lady Thor, because, you know... Jane Foster becomes Thor and it is Yeah, but that's not so much a, like, reinvention of a character, is it? Well, I guess it is. No, totally. She gets blonde. (laughs) Reinvention of Jane Foster, yeah. She can hold meow-meow. It's important. It's important. Cool. So with that, all of you, get out there, reinvent yourselves, 
get a gym membership, eat less sugars, get yourself a deep, deep V-neck unitard. Don't do that. And go undercover at a corrupt oil company. Oh, God, don't do that. Don't. Whatever your resolution is, whether it's to be more of a psychopathic mutant's first leader. Oh, God. Or if it's to have your back broken by a large Hispanic wrestler. Don't do that either. And then have your less than morally sound quasi-student take over your mantle and get a really edgy costume. Whatever your resolutions are. Or if you just want to drop carbs. Yeah, that too. Long long way to go for a nightfall reference. But But you committed. But I did it. I committed. You suck to it. That was my resolution to commit to a long, unneeded reference. (laughs) You already achieved. Yeah, I'm done. It's so early in the year. Night, guys. Now you can go eat some Cheetos and call it a day. Bye, everyone. (laughs) Uh, You won't see me anymore. I'm going to go to a cabin and hide run away. I'm done for 2019. I'm hibernating till 2020. Bye, everybody. All right. Well, now that he's gone. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Thank you. No, he's still gone. Uh, <laughs> if you want more Cover B, follow us on Facebook or Twitter, at Cover B Podcast. You can follow me and Chris on our Instagrams. I'll see uh, you in 2020. You're just outside the tent. I know. Ugh. Spoil the, the illusion there, team. He's a mess. Anyway, stay tuned next week for our next episode, you guys, of Cover B. Thank you. Don't get sick like me. <laughs> <laughs>